and welcome to a really special episode of Pause the Politics. Uh, today we've got not only Alex and myself, but also another Alex. I know there's two of them. God, please help me get through this episode. Today we're joined by Alex Kante. Thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, thank you, Jack. I'm glad to be coming on. Um, my name is Alex Kante, and uh, well, I guess I'm the American, uh, the American advisor, so to speak, now. Oh, are you a spad in this uh, in this instance? Special advisor. Yeah, I'm the I'm the special advisor, you know, just like the special advisors we send to uh, other countries, you know, except <laughs> less staging coups of third world countries. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And at this point in the podcast, I think it's worth saying while we've still got your attention and audience retention, attention and retention, it's worth saying please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. It's just pause the politics or some rough variation of that. I'm sure you'll find the orange microphone somewhere if you look. Right, so um, today for the discussion, which is why we have um, our good American friend here, is we're going to be discussing the American judicial system, actually. So I think perhaps a good place to start would be to start with maybe Alex's perspective. What would you say your overall view of it is, especially perhaps with how judges are appointed, maybe, and to how judges are in general? Oh, if we're if we're starting, I guess we need to really start at the beginning of the ideal behind judges when it came to the founding fathers. If you want to have a solid foundation of it, yeah. We had a, now, uh, a politics teacher, and he'd always say, no matter what we did, always go back to the constitution. What did the founding fathers? Uh, what did they want? Yeah, I think it's a really good way of looking at how our country should be run. Because the the founding fathers at the end, they they weren't idiots. They were a group of very intelligent men, and they realized what they were building here. They were taking inspiration from ancient Greece. They were taking inspiration from the Roman Republic. I mean, they were taking inspiration from everywhere, from Islam to Confucianism to any sort of source of liberty they could get their hands on, such as the Magna Carta, for example. And when it comes to judges, I I like the judges are definitely a strange one, but when it comes to judges... Though I, I believe that the original opinion, our intent, was to have at the very least some say by the population in how laws should be ordered and how they should be carried out. Because there is a little bit of uh, arbitrariness, uh, sorry, arbitrary standards when it comes to the law. Like let's say uh, theft, for example, might have anything from five to ten years determined by the judge. So a population that wishes to sort of get in a judge that penalizes theft less would be allowed to do so with an elected judge but i mean if we're go- if we're talking issues with the criminal justice system you need you need no- look no further than private prisons <laughs> so would you say it's fair like with many other points of the constitution that giving it such an old document and i mean it's what nearly 200 years old in excess of 200 years old it's it's perhaps outdated and while the intentions were good it just doesn't work with the modern political system i would disagree mostly on the point of it being outdated the constitution is at the end of the day a living document the founding fathers did set us this down for us but if the american people so decided and were willing to go through either a constitutional convention or add or take away amendments they could in theory take away the first or second amendment but 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 I, but I do want to mention real quick about about those ten first ten amendments is that those aren't amendments or rights given to you by the state. They're supposed to be natural born or sort of God given rights in a sense, rights that all people should have endowed to them by a creator or simply by the universe. If say you're an atheist or 
ag- agnostic. Like um, John Locke, almost, with the um, rights that should be given without... Oh, yes. Yes, very John Lockean, especially considering the whole arguments by a lot of founding fathers that have the Second Amendment put in in the first place, the right to bear arms, to basically overthrow the government or a tyrannical government if need be. I must admit, the first Ten Amendments, I, while controversial, especially the first one and how it's uh, implicated with other statutes, but also the Second Amendment, it's all ten of them are really interesting to read about and read in themselves. They offer a lot of um, really contemporary views of what a government should be in this idealized state, which America is and was. Oh, they very much do. They very much do. And even the founders had disagreements amongst them of what America should like, uh, should look like. Jefferson, for example, sort of envisioned a more ancient Roman sort of agrarian society where the elected officials would have the free time necessary to devote all of their time to making the nation greater, while Hamilton was more of a sort of, we need to industrialize and be a sort of powerhouse of, of the world. It, it, it's very, it's two very interesting contrasts, and you can sort of see how they play out with Jefferson's ideal of a sort of a, a farmland America living on in the Midwest and the South, but Hamilton's industrialized America living on in the uh, West Coast and East Coast and its city centers. It's, it's, that's a really interesting point. Do you think, which would you say was the more realistic, especially with the modern implications? I would say the more realistic, in my opinion, is the Hamilton approach. Because the Jefferson approach, and he did admit this himself in his writings, does depend on, at the end of the day, either a slave class or an underclass to give you that free time. Admittedly, they didn't have the industrial production we have, so I think we have that free time anyway, without slavery or without a underclass to keep, you know, as an underclass. It's an interesting thing to think about, at the very least, the idea of elected officials that don't do anything besides think of ways to better the country. No running for a re-election, just thinking of better ways. That would be a very quite interesting point i'd say because you just mentioned about officials being elected that would would have nothing to do except think about the better of the country would you say that's perhaps what the judges are meant to be almost i do believe that's what the judges are meant to be considering nearly all of them that are non-elected are basically lifetime appointments especially yeah. the supreme court yeah that's true what's your opinion on them being lifetime appointments because for example i know in the uk they have a mandatory retirement age which i think is about 72 i think I think they're good as long as the judges are proven to be of sound mind, even if they're wheelchair-bound or even bed-bound, for example. As long as they're intelligent, I do believe they should have say a say on everything that goes on in the United States. Like Stephen Hawking, for example, was stuck in his <clears> chair and could only speak through a microphone, but he was one of the most intelligent minds of, our, of, um, of the past hundred years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. But um, an argument perhaps could be made that the law and our legal system, whilst obviously should have complete reverence of the past, it should also perhaps represent more of what we want our society to become, because that is how change is made. Change is made through you know, legal action and through laws. So perhaps the argument could be made that by allowing them to serve for life, you allow the proliferation of perhaps past ideals maybe too much. 
Hmm. It's an no. It's it's an interesting argument. The idea that you may cling to the past too hard when innovations what is what's needed. Uh, just a just a quick finish quickly. I do believe that from my own readings, when it comes to lifetime appointment of judges, is that presidents are very often surprised at the people that they appoint for a lifetime position, since they're going to be in there until the day they die, or they're declared mentally incapacitated. They make a lot of surprising decisions when it comes to certain rulings. Like um, a good example might be, I believe, Obamacare, and I believe a second ruling that I can't remember off the top of my head recently, where the only reason those, where the only reason Obamacare, for example, was saved was because a conservative judge put in by George Bush himself decided to side with the more liberal side of the court and said, "You guys don't even have a replacement for this." And Medicare for all, at the very least, needs is something that every American needs. They need a healthcare insurance plan that you know won't leave them to die. Yeah, that's a very good point because an argument can be made, and I think you see it often, um, perhaps with like more social issues such as like abortion and um, abortion rights. You see perhaps like maybe a polarization with the judges, like the Democratic judges normally they're appointed by Democratic presidents tend to be very socially liberal, whereas the, the Republican ones tend to be quite socially illiberal almost. Like, because um, that's the current debate at the moment, isn't it? If they replace um, Ruth, Gade, Ruth Bader Ginsburg with like a less pro-choice um, justice, then that could perhaps, uh, I, think there, I think there are even concerns that they may even repeal Roe v. Wade. There are definitely are concerns, though if they repeal Roe v. Wade, it's not the end of the world unless they attempt to get a lawsuit in to illegalize abortion all over the country, since it would just become, well, what it was before, which is Democrat states allow abortion while Republican states don't, in a sense. But it still allows, I guess, women who are able to go to Democrat states at least an opportunity. Though, though I would say the the pro-life, um, pro-life versus pro-choice argument is probably a separate topic than from judicial systems <laughs> absolutely i mean we nearly we kind of brushed a topic which i think is really interesting that there does seem to be a trend between the republican um nominations taking a very literal view of the constitution and the democratic uh, the democrats uh, nominations taking a more contemporary reading of the constitution because i i'm correct me if i'm wrong but isn't there mm-hmm. almost a, a debate that the Constitution is a living document, whereas some people feel it's very much it, it's by the it's by the word of the law. It's it really is set in stone. Oh, certainly. The, that, at that point, you're talking about it's the I believe the schools of thought are well, I guess living like living document versus originalism, which is sort of like what did the founders think at the time it should be in a sense, instead of I, I believe that is a little too stifling because the founders can think of all the technologies or peoples that would be in our country now. I mean, they could probably scarcely imagine that instead of a rival in Europe, our rivals in, in Asia with China at the time. Because as far as I remember throughout U.S. history, we've been relatively friendly with the um, Chinese emperors. But back on topic, I do believe that both parties try to put themselves out as such. But considering the amount of sort of, I guess, big money in a sense that goes in from upper class, from the upper classes, from rich people into their pockets, 
I feel like you end up in a situation where both parties are generally similar in the policies that they commit and hand out. I've got something that I just quickly want Alex's opinion on as well. Um, so I know, for example, in America, I think it's in Cal- for example, I know for example that California uses as well that judges are actually voted in, or, or you know, like 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 a judge can be voted in, and they have to receive a majority of the votes to continue to serve as a as a judge. Mm-hmm. Like in in my opinion, I. I kind of see that as the, as then having to put law at the mercy of like mob mm-hmm. rule almost, because for example, in, in certain states, the the people could want a judge that's particularly harsh, you know, harsh on crime. For example, is always is always a big thing in America, you know, war on crime. Mm-hmm. To, to have a judge that was brought in with such a mandate, then that could have an impact on sentencing almost. You know, you could have harsh mm-hmm. sentences than would be necessary, because I'm mm-hmm. saying that the constitution allows for quite a big interpretation in terms of sentencing powers. No, true, true. I mean, it, it, this is this is this has been documented with the fact that judges who are elected almost nearly always go on a very tough on crime mandate, which usually just ends up in you're not focusing on rehabilitating the criminal for say nonviolent crimes such as say theft for example, or shoplifting, but you end up more or less putting them in jail for longer than they really should be. And you end up in a situation where the guy who was just lifting pockets in the city has now gone to basically jail university and has now learned how to do home invasions. He's learned how to arms traffic. He's learned how to drug deal. He's learned how to traffic in drugs. I do believe elected judges lead to this, but I think it's a reflection of American culture itself being too tough on crime. At the very least, not focus on lowering crime, but more feeling that crime is being lowered. Oh, absolutely. I think you know the weird thing in America is they always seem to declare war on nouns, like <laughs> war on drugs, <laughs> war on terror. They 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 seem to like declaring war on the abstract to then make it to make the people feel safer rather than dealing with the actual issue. And mm-hmm. I think you see that a lot with crime, because then also you've got to take one must take into account that uh, America thrives off you know part of it thrives off the private prison system. You know, oh, there's massive economic benefit to have as many people incarcerated as you as you possibly can. Oh yes, there definitely is. The private prison industry is a basically a billion dollar industry. It is incredibly lucrative, and they spend a large amount of the, their profits just lobbying for more private prisons, higher criminalization. Mm. There are certain industries I do believe that if privatized should be heavily regulated, like private prisons. And some industries that just shouldn't be privatized at at all at the very or at the very least should be heavily government controlled. F- food for me is one one of those things that should be heavily government controlled because it's a sort of necessary for national defense. You don't want all your food to be produced in another place, lest you go to war or are blockaded. Oh, absolutely. But I would perhaps make the argument that you wouldn't want prisons to be privatized because then you're because. Prisons aren't prisons are a necessity. Mm-hmm. They are a way to rehabilitate and or punish people. To then to then turn that into something that one can make a profit from, in my mind, seems as though that you're almost, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, either incentivizing crime, basically, or incentivizing mm-hmm. tougher jail sentences. Like, you know, for example, it is in their interest for them to, for for judges to be harsher on crime and for the law to be harsher on crime. Mm-hmm. No, so it is perhaps, a good point. Yeah, so perhaps one 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 could theorise the, the the impact that that has, and maybe even you know, I know in America you you've got the lobbies which tend to be quite powerful, mm-hmm. and with judges being elected, 
obviously with judges having to be having to run elections like politicians, you could you know theorize that the impact that the lobbies could have on them almost. Oh yeah, the impact is nearly always they they become even tougher than they would have they say on their mandates. Um, I do see the argument. Um, so I would say when it comes to I would say when it comes to private prisons, there is a place for them in terms of trying to make prisons more efficient and making sure that you're not putting bad uh, good money after bad money in a sense, depending on the programs you set out. But you do also end up with the issue in private prisons of they start cutting costs not only at construction material, but sometimes at the food that they give them. There have been private prisons where the prisoners weren't able to eat for the day because the food that arrived was just covered in maggots because they paid basically bottom dollar for whatever they bought it from. I would say, though, when it comes to the judicial system in general, the private prison problem can be solved by first looking at what is being criminalized and why. I think that needs to be dealt with first before you start banning private prisons. Otherwise, you, let's say you ban private prisons and it's states doing it. States get federal funding for such things. And now you're incentivizing states to criminalize their own populations to get more money as a governor. It, it's yeah. a very delicate balance. It's a very yeah, delicate it, it is absolutely. But yeah, I, I think you are 100% right that, that in America, they need to review what's being criminalized because I, I, I see some of the sentences for things that in the mm. UK would be considered minor infractions. And it's, it's, it's obscene. Like the the it, jail yeah. sentences are. It's obscene because most of these crimes are generally drug related. It's sort of like, why is the guy who, who had a gram of weed on him being sentenced to 22 years Somehow the child molester is only being sent sentenced to five to six. Like that, yeah. that makes no switch yeah. those sentences around. Like, come on, you know, work with me here. Which would you prefer to have on the streets in like ten years' time? Exactly. Which would you prefer to have on the streets? I'd rather have the dude who just w- wanted to toke up after a long day than you know <laughs> the guy literally praying after children. I mean, it must all also be argued that you could say that. Mm inmates safety and security even in a private prison mm-hmm. is protected under the eighth amendment which was obviously inspired by titus oates and the um and the cruel and unusual um, punishment which he suffered in england it is and it is in a sense i would say the issue is is what the supreme court decides counts as cruel and unusual because prison labor isn't technically cruel and unusual even if it is difficult like for example the the California fires that are happening right now are the ones in Oregon and Washington as well. The reason why they've been burning so long is because the main firefighters aren't actual trained firefighters, but prisoners that they send into the forest fires to basically um, to basically pour water on them to to fight the fire in a sense. But the issue but- they started running into was that because of COVID, a lot of the prisoners became sick. Some purposely, apparently, because some prisoners <laughs> apparently conspired to get sick because they thought they'd be let out early. They, they put a stop to that, obviously. But California realizes that they, they, don't, they don't even have enough helicopters because the helicopters have been sent to Afghanistan. They don't have enough workers because all the prisoners are sick. So all they can do is quite literally just let it burn out. And, well, if anybody, if, uh, if anybody has the time, I would highly recommend look up uh, – I would highly recommend – looking up Blade Runner in California. And it's basically just a s- shot of San Francisco with the, um, with the, with cyberpunk music from Blade Runner over it. And it feels like I'm watching a movie, except sadly I'm living it. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that will definitely be put in the show notes so people can look at that afterwards. Prisoners fighting flies. I think that is... I, I think you've just made the Daily Mail's year. <laughs> with I think you have, yeah. <laughs> That's... Yeah, I'm willing to bet if you guys had... um Prisoners are, can be obligated to do labour, you would, you would have them building quite a few roads. Yeah, that in my mind is is absolutely obscene. Yeah. Like, I cannot imagine that happening, for example. I could not imagine that ever happening in the UK. That's crazy. I think it's because the UK has been a bit... Uh, being being close at the end of the day to where the ancient Roman Republic was, I think you were a, quite a lot closer historically to the shocks that the Roman Republic went through. And one of those shocks was the fact that due to the fact of free labor from slaves and prisoners, wages became depressed, which led to people becoming in debt, which led to more people becoming enslaved or becoming prisoners, which led to prices fall, wages falling even further. And that's what a lot of prison labor does is that they depress the wages in the industries that they are working for. And that's not, that's not a good thing. Those wages should be allowed to be at natural market rate. They shouldn't be depressed because you've captured a whole bunch of people and forced them to work. Oh, absolutely. That, and, yeah. and, and also in my mind, it's, it seems mm. also, it seems almost inhumane because they don't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I, sorry. They do have the choice between prison labor are staying inside the prison and doing nothing but oh, if your choice is staying inside seven days a week doing nothing <laughs> you're gonna want to fight fires at some point <laughs> you know they'll just wait for you to get bored that's very yeah that's very true actually because in the uk we had um it went to the supreme court it was riley versus the state of uh, secretary of state for work and pensions and that was arguing that for someone to have to work for a private company, it was mm. basically about benefits. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, no, no, I'm not. If you could explain. Uh, effectively, they they argued that the way that the government was trying to force them to work for private companies in order to get um, their unemployment policy was unlawful and effectively paramount to slave labor. So, mm. uh, I mean, if we can't, you know, and this was for a, a free person, so... I, this you can't it's almost uncomprehendable for prisoners to be forced not forced to work as you said but mm. given the option to work in such a a dangerous environment oh it, yeah no it, it very much is it very much is in my in my opinion a, immoral at the end of the day i do believe that prisoners should have the option of a sort of a say a worker's compensation of you studied to be an engineer, a coder, or you study how to work on cars, or you study how to be a construction worker. That that sort of makes sense as an internship opportunity. But that money shouldn't be going to the prisoner uh, sorry, to the prison. It should be going to the prisoner. It is their job that they are out that they are allowing themselves to commit themselves to that the prison is basically saying, because you've been good and because you've been doing good things and you're gonna be released soon we're going to start integrating you back into society. You know, here are your references. Here's a job that you can do. Here are some skills you can learn. Exactly. It's, yeah, it, done it's that part way, of that the re a rehabilitation process. Mm. It should arguably be a fundamental feature of prison to get them prisoners so that they're not drawn into a life of crime, that they can be an mm. active member of society, give them a stake in society mm. to want to uh, protect Absolutely, and also um, by making them work for basically nothing, it makes them perhaps even more resentful of society because now, mm. in effect, society is exploiting them. Yeah. 
And like a lot of things in America, this is this is very prevalent because there is a very heavy um, racial element to it. So you're not only combining that racial element, but you're combining the sort of uh, private or capitalist element, which is understandably a company is going to go for whatever's the cheapest, and the cheapest in some cases is prison labor. I can't blame them. They have they have an obligation to their shareholders. They have an obligation to their workers to make more money. In a sense, that makes sense. You know, I'm not. I can't blame the company here, but I can blame the state for allowing such a situation to continue. It's. I mean, it, especially because it's a. It's a part of this makeup of society. It would almost be foolish for them not to accept this ridiculously cheap labor. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Um. T- thinking about it from from purely you know, markets and capital. Ca- you know, purely capitalism perspective. You, you obviously would take the cheapest labor. Yeah, and in it doesn't case, change. And just, and, just, and just in case anyone wants to suggest socialism or communism, it doesn't change either way. Free labor is free labor. And when it comes to people in positions of power, whether it's the government, a company, or an organization, or the commune, you're, you're going to have a very hard time convincing somebody that somebody who's done a heinous crime, for example shouldn't be simply worked until they paid back their debt to society. But you got to think about the broader context of it. If they're working, that's a job taken from somebody else. And they're obviously not going to be working for the same wages because then, technically speaking, it's not a punishment. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 a, that's an interesting point. Are they, in a way, not putting firemen out of jobs because obviously they're not the fire department and mm. uh, firing the um, employed and substituting mm. them with these prisoners but is it drying up the demand for firefighters in this example i would say because firefighters are generally more helped by the state what it does is it allows the state to save money on paying for firefighters training them equipping them because what they do with the prisoners is the prisoners are usually barely equipped and sometimes if at all during forest fires and just simply sent out there to to douse the flames and from a state perspective, in that in the case of firefighting, it's very cheap. In the case of making, say, license plates, it's very cheap for the companies who sell those license plates. It's a it's a very big trope of American movies that um, prison labor will pay you like pennies for the prisoner, while the prisoner while the prison or the company employing them is making like dollars. Basically, it's almost the you could almost argue it's a sort of Chinese company method of we make a thousand dollar iPhone, pay the worker a penny. And give it to Apple for seven fifty. Yeah, absolutely. Also, um, the Thirteenth Amendment does actually explicitly mm-hmm. allow penal labor. Yep, it does. It was specifically indicted in there. It, it says basically that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude. It says, except as a punishment for crime, where mm-hmm. the party shall have, have been duly convicted, shall exist in the United States. But then the issue is in the South is what ended up happening. Off, like in a sort of obvious sense. Is that when they they the South after the Civil War lost a significant free labor force at the end of the day, and one thing people hate m- more than anything is when they lose free things that they had. So what ended up happening in the South after Reconstruction ended was that a lot of police forces, uh, sort of these are more predecessors of police forces, would more or less just like take a random black man off the street if they look like a good worker, accuse them of a crime put them in front of a judge and a jury that would most likely convict them and then send them off to basically a prison that they could continue working at. A lot of, uh, a lot of black men ended up basically working at the same plantations they were freed from or their fathers were freed from 
just through that system alone. So there is the heavy element of that being added in as well, because you can keep it away from the public consciousness in a sense if it's another group of people. Because you're yeah. effectively making a... Mm-hmm. You don't... Because <laughs> it, it, to some, especially as they're mm-hmm. doing labor for basically free, it could be seen that they are mm-hmm. a second-class system. They are most certainly mm-hmm. under the level. You've, they've effectively, as you said, there was mm-hmm. there was the effect of slavery being outlawed, so then they mm-hmm. had to fill the market. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. Yeah, it is, it's a very complex... And very and the deeper you get into a very sad subject, because you end up in a case where a where a lot of groups in in America, and I'm not just talking about black, Asian people or Hispanic people, white people as well, where a lot of people have ended up more or less outside of society because of either crimes they straight up just didn't commit, or because of little crimes like say pickpocketing that they'll get charged for ten years for. And the issue you run into with that is that because felons can't vote in the United States, you end up in a case where you can – if you're smart in a political sense, you can disfranchise an entire group of people without literally doing so. A lot of people might give examples of, say, um, uh, uh, black populations in Republican states having very high black prison populations because black people generally vote Democrat. But I would say you could also, I believe, make the argument – you could probably also make the argument for other races in other states as well. Yeah, that's actually a really in, in, in interesting point because I com- I completely forgot actually that prisoners can't vote mm. in the uh, in the US, can they? In, in elections? Nope, they can't vote. They can't hold uh, weapons. They can't even run for public office. So the question is, if you have an entire group of people that just can't, if the only way they can participate in society is by just working in the private sector, they can't vote. And they can't actually enact any change. And people who are non-criminals don't know the process because they haven't been through the process yet. And by mm. the time they realize, oh, we need to change this, this is horrible, they usually became prisoners themselves of something. They usually oh, yeah, became criminals yeah, themselves. That's true. That's true. Because um, I've got some, um, some stats here, and it's saying actually in Colorado, the cheapest mm-hmm. base pay for prison labor is 60 cents a day. Yep. That, that, that's crazy and um also i've got some of the stats here it's saying as well that um basically they dress it up as um they dress up prison labor as a um rehabilitation thing mm. they say that it's designed to mitigate recidivism which is basically prisoners recommitting crimes mm. and it's it's even got a fancy name <laughs> it's called the prison industry enhancement certification program yeah because you gotta yeah. dress it up so it doesn't yeah. so it sounds respectable and um so every year um, so up until 1990, it had to be like it had to be, it had to be keep being reauthorized. But since 1990, mm-hmm. it's now it's now been approved for indefinite continuation. Yep. Un- you know, unsurprising. So, mm, so in in my mind, I, I find it difficult how how they're ever going to um, get rid of it. You know, it, it, it's it's baked into the system almost. It is baked into the system, and in my opinion, the only way you can get rid of it is either a top-down approach with a president who comes into the office with a reformist agenda, of which we have neither. Like, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, you have to admit Biden basically just represents, like, Obama-level status quo of, we're gonna, we've, we've gone downward in a decline, and we're just going to start stagnating. Well... Trump is more or less just like what is what is there to reform? He's basically going to just keep trying to get the wall through, and 
I guess if I guess from a Trump supporter perspective, that's basically it. I mean, maybe maybe that's all they want, but continuing on. Yeah, absolutely. But um, actually, an important point actually when you said felons can't vote, mm-hmm. is that not then interesting that judges are elected? Would, would that not be actually an argument for that judges should not be elected? Because if if the people that's been affected by the, by by justice then can't vote for then who decides what justice is, does that not create some sort of just crazy scenario where it's completely illogical? Mm. I think it's because I, I believe the felons can't vote is an original from the founders. And I think the argument that they thought from themselves was the idea of a sort of criminal underclass yeah. that because of heinous acts that they had committed mm. would attempt to make either such heinous acts illegal or more palpable in a sense. Like, um, oh, I see. like you, you could, you could look at it from a Hollywood sense of, um, of when it comes to people who molest children in a sense like that, like Epstein, for example. I mean, how you could argue? A lot of people have been arguing that point actually with Cuties, the movie from on Netflix. Yeah, th- yeah. That there is a large sec, there is a section of the population that is like pushing this on you, whether you believe that or not. I, I personally not don't not really. Yeah, that's a very interesting point actually. And actually, the the point we're about when you're saying the criminal underclass, that, that's very in my mind social contract. The, 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 because mm-hmm. you break on social contract, your punishment is complete disenfranchisement from the society that follows the social contract. Basically, actually, yeah. But I think from the founders' perspective, they never realized that the list of crimes would become this extensive. Like, I've heard the argument that the average American breaks four to five, uh, four to six crimes a day that they just simply don't know. And some of this are obscene crimes, like you can't eat ice cream on, the, on a Sunday, or <laughs> you can't walk across the street jaywalking, for example, yeah. though everybody does it. Yeah. But if you have a particularly smart politician with a with a police chief in his pocket, you can very quickly get rid of a large section of the voting population without ever having to purge voting rolls, without ever having to move voting stations. If you're clever about it, you can stay in power in a district for decades or until the day you die from the day you're elected. Yeah, that's that, that in my mind is very much dictatorial police state mm-hmm. kind of situation there which actually the founding fathers wanted to have no, you know they wanted to avoid despotism absolutely which is completely. why they gave us the second amendment to make sure that no matter what we had the weaponry we need i mean i've heard i do agree with the argument that the that the current gun laws that we have are actually too restrictive because back during the founding fathers time people privately owned cannons people privately owned entire ships and fleets that fought during the American Revolution and were allowed to keep those ships and fleets even when America was, uh, was I guess, fully founded or fully formed under the Constitution. But um, as they argued, light, uh, sorry, gov- as they argued, as Jefferson himself said, like, governments, people won't tra- change governments for light and transient causes, and they shouldn't either way. People are more likely to suffer a train of abuses and issues and things and crises that keep piling up until they finally say just enough is enough we're not going to take anymore yeah that's that's actually really interesting because you because um, i think you can see with america now for the past two elections mm. including this one that's upcoming you've had basically people feel quite apathetical towards both you know mm. it's basically it's basically who, who who is the least worst yeah so as you said you know they wouldn't change government for light and transient courses causes so how 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 long would would such how how long would such a system have to proliferate before people perhaps say enough's enough i would say at 
if the current tensions as they are continue onward, I would argue, if they don't accelerate, I would argue that you could get to a place where American society starts going in a sort of pre-Civil War mindset easily by like the 2030s, 2040s. Mm. But if it accelerates, and and as often such crises do, depending on the leadership, you could end up in it happening incredibly soon. I mean, there are people, there are there are Democrats talking about how with the Supreme Court that they should arm themselves and storm the Senate, and you have Republicans arguing they should shoot every Democrat voter they see. You're getting a sort of dehumanization from both sides when the ironic thing is is that the upper class the rich that back them both don't suffer either way like like a good example i always thought it's funny is that you you guys know um chris tucker the comedian yeah yeah excellent stand-up comedian would highly recommend his recent set on netflix very hilarious but he made a very good point is that yeah he he wants he will vote for the democrat party but he joked to the rest of the audience is that to me it doesn't matter i've come to like if Trump gets elected, that just means more tax cuts for me. I just get more money. You know, it's you guys <laughs> that are screwed. It's not me. Yeah, yeah. No, um, that's a very good point, actually. That the the wealthier and more privileged you are, the more yep. you can afford to just take a completely apathetical role to any politics because it just doesn't affect you. Very much so. I mean, maybe that's maybe politics is just is middle class dominated because. I feel like the like you know the struggling, uh, disenfranchised with it because they they don't care they don't really mm-hmm. see any difference, and maybe with Trump that that was the, maybe it was a, a show of support, but largely I feel like most people that are struggling just try and keep on going if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And as you said, the wealthy are just you know they might get taxed a bit more, but mostly it, it doesn't matter for them. So maybe an argument could be that it's politics is just a it's for the middle class it's a battleground for the middle class that sometimes they can they can use uh, different classes as pawns but it is mainly a middle class sport. No, it definitely it definitely is when it comes to the people who are voting. But the sad thing about it is that the middle class is is shrinking. I I think this is a trend being seen practically everywhere in the, in the West, and. I guess the step the step away bit. I would say a part of it is that sort of decline in sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, noblesse oblige in a sense, oblige in a sense of that there is no expectation that the rich will at the very least do some philanthropy, improve the state of living in their own in their own country. I mean, hell, they send a lot of money off off to off the foreign places, and some of the, that money does indeed help. But very little spent at home, in a sense, you know. And some rich people just don't spend any on philanthropy at all. Perhaps that's mm-hmm. a symptom, though, of the middle class kind of taking this interest in politics that they no longer have to oblige, as to take part of your mm-hmm. uh, phrase. They no longer have to help out because it's because they no longer feel the need to be seen as active because other people are making noise for them. True. I do think it is part of that the sort of loud extremist actors on, on both sides have started sort of taking away the 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 voice, so to speak, of the more moderate and the more sensible. So you have the now you have the issue of more or less Antifa versus like Proud Boys in the Street. 
when if you speak to the average American, they don't want either of them in the streets. They don't want they want none of them fighting in the streets. They don't want any fighting at all. You know, we haven't come to the ammo box just yet, knucklehead, so stop fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, ironically, actually, for, for a country that was modeled on ancient Rome, it's lacking any sense of duty. Yeah. But then again, actually, if you, if you, if you look back at ancient Rome, that too just devolved into demagoguery and emperors. So perhaps maybe you could see America going in the same way of just demagogues. It's possible, but the one thing that worries about me in the American case is that, at the very least from the Roman perspective, Rome had the counterweight of the Parthian Empire on the other mm. side. Mm. But in the, but, um, and people always keep saying that, oh, America is going to collapse like the Roman Republic, but they always keep forgetting the fact that the Roman Republic collapsed and then was held by, was ruled by one of the most intelligent men that ever ruled the Roman Empire, which was um, Augustus Caesar. Yeah. I can scarcely imagine the amount of weight a, an American empire could throw around ruled by somebody as competent and as intelligent as an Augustus, as a modern-day Augustus Caesar. That would be, that would be, that would be ridiculous. It would be that would genius. be terrifying. Yeah, I'd it would be, be absolutely terrifying. Because then the question you have to ask yourself is who can – and this is and this would be an America that would steadily even become even more militarized than we are already. Who can stop a country like that? Who can stop a country that has – that whose armed forces, if you split them up, hold the top five places for the largest air force on the planet? You couldn't. That would be an unstoppable beast. Yeah. And so that's why I, I feel I, – that's why it really annoys me when people in my country and also outside – sort of joke that, oh, America's going to collapse like a Roman Republic, and it's like, pray, pray to God that we don't, if we collapse, pray to God that we collapse fully, because if we just collapse into an American empire like the Roman Republic did, that is an authoritarianism that I, that humanity should not be forced to suffer under. It's just waiting for that one competent speaker that can kind of unify the nation true but such an incompetent speaker would have the choice just like in rome to either be a julius caesar and try to take the reins of power or be a cincinnatus even if the even if an absolute power is given to them give it back to the people and put safeguards in place as well and simply do as george washington did and retire but such men, such men are rare. Such men, only three such men have ever have ever done that. Like because Washington actually did model himself on Cincinnati actually because um, yeah. even did the same thing. They just both left and went to went and became gentlemen farmers. He set the president, uh, the precedent. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, it wouldn't have been unreasonable if George Washington was simply just president for life. Yeah, yeah. But he knew the issues that that would bring in the long term. He wasn't. He, they were all very intelligent people. But George Washington was just that, just that popular. He could have just kept winning election after election. Mm, mm. I believe the only president that has won every single state was George Washington in his first and second terms. Yes. So, I mean, who the hell is going to vote against the against the uh, general and father of the mm, nation? Mm. <laughs> but even then, he still stepped down. He yeah. still said the president can, should only serve for this long. Actually, that fits quite well into our topic now. Uh, topic about judges. Actually, mm -hmm. if you had such a judge that was just as popular. As, as George Washington say, for example, then mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think that now the, in, in in this current America I don't think you'd have mm -hmm. th they would have the the patriotism or the dignity to then mm -hmm. to, to, to just step aside. 
Hmm. It, no, no, it's an, no, it's an interesting argument. I would say the beauty of it with the Nujiso system is twofold, which is that uh, they would need a mm. executive to enforce what they said yeah. and a legislative not to try to overturn mm. them, or at the very least find a workaround. Um, and plus that judge this would be bound by eight other judges as well. I would say it's more dangerous to have a president that does say what Andrew Jackson did when the Supreme Court ruled that uh, the Trail of Tears was unconstitutional, which his response was basically just like, he made the ruling, so let him enforce it. And he knows he can't enforce it because the Supreme Court doesn't have an army to enforce things. So he basically just ignored a constitutional order to stop doing what you're doing. I, mm. I worry of mm. a president that may, that may do Another such, actually interesting thing. thing that I just thought about is with, with, with judges being elected, how would the electorate know that a judge is actually competent? Like, for example, a president could just nominate somebody mm. that they know is like just a lame duck, just something that would just do as they're told. Yes, they could have gone to law school. Yes, they could have, you know, uh, been a professor or whatever. But that doesn't mean that they're of sensible mind and or willpower, actually, to be able to uphold the law properly. Because, like, for, um, for contrast, in the UK... Uh, the way judges are appointed mm-hmm. are they have to sit through a judicial panel with, and um, obviously it even includes a lay person and um, mm-hmm. they have to explain to that, that, that committee why they're competent enough. And obviously obviously, I know America has the Senate hearings, but mm-hmm. as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware, none of them are legal professionals. Mm-hmm. So... No. Uh, the best we have is recommendations yeah. by the... Um... American, but uh, the, in uh, my mind, I could perhaps see a thing where um, that you know the, the people being told, you know, be, uh, where the electorate are told that vote for this person, but this person is mm-hmm. completely incompetent, and then all sorts of wacky rulings happen, which is why I think judges should be appointed and not really particularly elected. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not sure what you think, perhaps about that. I mean, one could argue just mm-hmm. to play devil's advocate one could argue that actually they are there after all to serve the people mm-hmm. so the people should have a say in who serves them it's almost like a, a representative of them because they want the laws to be if we're you know being brutally honest i would argue that they want the laws to be um portrayed in their in their best interest so surely if you had someone that was elected you could then guarantee that this is they true, would but be, I don't think uh, the law should should, should should sway or bow to political pressure. The law is the law; it, sh- it should be independent. It, it's designed to be fair to everyone. To play it into the hands of, for in effect, mob rule, or the you know the, the, tyranny, the, the tyranny of the majority, you are in effect saying that the law will be the majority almost, rather than protecting everyone. Because then, because because then you could run into issues of. If the majority think we should be harsher on crime, then that impacts the majority, the, the minority that, that, that commit crimes almost. And or you could say that for any sort of um, you know, example, that if the majority think something and vote something in that they want, then that impacts the, the minority almost. You, you kind of get that tyranny of the majority situation. Hmm. That's an excellent point. Alex, um, Alex C, I should say, rather than just Alex, what do you feel about the uh, mob rule kind of ethos when it comes to law? I definitely sympathize with the mob rule ethos, though I question, though sometimes I do question myself whether it's coming from a place of sort of elitism in the sense of I'm not connecting properly with with my fellow Americans. And I, I 
do think it is rather attractive this this sort of idea of a sort of meritocratic rule that is almost non that is non elected that can do that can do whatever it is needed in the in the face of um, crises or the foolishness of the of the majority. But I do think there needs to, at the very least, be a hand, even even if it's only a tiny one, to show the pulse of the the American pulse when it comes to the judicial system. What is it that the American people see in a judge, in a sense? I think it gives a politician an idea of how far they can kind of push the envelope either way. If the American people start voting in judges that are, say, more uh, more harsh on sex trafficking than they are on drug trafficking, a politician that was looking to sponsor a bill that for, for such a thing can mm. sort of make s- at least That's actually a very interesting point, so. actually. I, I, I never perhaps considered that argument. Um, could perhaps then a compromise be that, for example, let's say the Supreme Court half are elected. I, I, I say elected, you know, half are appointed by the president and the other half are appointed merely on the basis that they're legally solid, for lack of a better word. Hmm. Now, he, the, now, the issue here, I would say, is that when – and it will sound hypocritical considering what I just said earlier – is that I feel like voting should only be should be very much constrained to lower circuit judges, judges that can definitely move up, but lower circuit judges at the end of the day. Supreme Court judges should definitely be appointed as they are through the Senate and with a, with a nomination by the president, because I find with the lifetime appointments of Supreme Court judges is that they they do surprise you. Supreme Court judges do surprise with their rulings. And I do remember a particular case, and I believe they, it was Republican President Eisenhower, who elected a Supreme Court judge that he thought that mm. he thought that was recommended to him by his the Republican Party, and he thought this would and this was at the time the Republican Party was steadily becoming more, um, I believe it was Eisenhower, yeah, yeah this was um, steadily becoming more conservative, and the. And what they found was that the judge that he put in was quite literally the most mm. liberal judge in American history. Yeah. And this was a judge put in yeah. by a conservative. Is it Warren? This was the judge that – was it Warren? I, it, yeah. I believe so. I believe so. If you, if you ever have the time, just Google most um, liberal think, judge I, I on the Supreme Warren, Court his, in, in history. I mean, I think that's kind of useful, though, because that's showing that his mm. his enforcement of the law was truly yeah. blind no, and not motivated yeah. by politics. He was very, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that's it, the, it is 100% Warren, because yeah, it, he, he did um, Brown v. Really Board nice of Education story. and Reynolds and Sims. Mm-hmm. Because he looked past the partisan lines, and he recognized mm. that at the end of the day, whether you go by founder's intention or by the current situation of the country is yeah. that equal rights need to be mandated or else you yeah. are giving a massive advantage to the Soviets. Because uh, at the time, what they were doing is that the Soviets, anytime they went to Africa to sponsor their little communist revolutions in BS, they, would sim- they could simply just point to the U.S. and say, they don't, if they don't treat people of your skin color correctly, you know, what do you think is going to happen if they attempt to put a government over you? Mm. I, I guess Angola is a good example of that, arguably. You end up in a situation... Where you have a continent of people that don't want democracy because they think democracy is associated with a sort of racial purity. 
Yeah. But it but it doesn't need to be. It shouldn't be at the end of the no, day. No, ab- absolutely don't, not. Don't give, don't give the Soviets any ammunition. Don't give communists <laughs> any ammunition of why democracies are bad. Could you not actually say that Pax Americana then is actually just bad for America? Because there's no pressure for them to change anymore. For example, mm. you, you know, as you, as you just illustrated there, the Soviets, in effect, helped illustrate change in America, whereas now, due to absolute American hegemony, is there any, is there any, is there any, you know, need, you know, there's no, for lack of a better word, ammunition for change almost, mm-hmm. you know, there's no right. need for it, one, one could perhaps argue. True, true. I would say, at, I would say towards the beginning and maybe middle of the Cold War, I would agree it did force generals, politicians, it forced every part of the American government to stay on their toes, especially when it came to infiltrations. But later on, as everybody kind of settled into this idea of, oh, it's going to be America versus the Soviet Union for like 100 years, mm. I think that's when people started getting lazy. And then the ni- and then 1991 happened, and communism as it was basically proven to be a failure. Yeah. And now, but now we're getting uh, new challengers and new forms, mm. whether it be state capitalism by China or the Russians deciding that the Cold War never actually ended. We just we just had to take a time out. This is round two. <laughs> Yeah, close. It, mm-hmm. Who would you... Um, who's the most... Mm-hmm. Sorry, let me restart that. Sorry, I'm still collecting my thought. Um, who's your favourite judge of all time, would you say? Hmm. I, it doesn't have to be because you agree with them politically or by ruling. Maybe they were, I don't know, uh, quite controversial and you enjoyed the drama of it. But who would you say was your favourite? I would say my favorite judge of all time would be off the top of my head from the judges I know. Yeah, it definitely would be John Marshall. He was the first Supreme Court judge. And his intelligence was marked by the fact of there was a bill before him, basically, right? And the Constitution doesn't have judicial review in it. Judicial review was never part of the founders' intent at the time. But John Marshall had the choice before him of he could either allow the Supreme Court because it was um it was a constitutional issue of the argument that Supreme Court justice uh, the Supreme Court shouldn't be allowed to appoint lower judges it was it was unconstitutional some of the founders argued at the time and John Marshall had the choice of either stacking the the courts in his favor or in the favor of whoever was on the Supreme Court later on or to declare that powers given to the to the supreme court were constant unconstitutional which allows him to start doing a judicial review of this is what the supreme court can do we can actually review laws and declare them unconstitutional that's like the supreme court being able to do such a thing isn't actually part of the constitution it's just something that has been made um legal over time through what the supreme court does but it was never part of the original document would you argue that that makes it a more equal third power in the separation of powers? And is one of the biggest uh, checks and balance that they can do on the legislature? Oh, it certainly is. It certainly is. Early on, the Supreme Court had far less power than the um, other two branches. But admittedly, the executive also had far less power as well. It was all in the legislature. The idea of um, the state legislators electing senators or the people electing congressmen. It, it it was a early early America is a very interesting system. I would, if anybody has the time, I would very much recommend reading about early party politics, just as the parties were beginning to form. As it's very interesting how the U.S. functioned back then. Yeah, absolutely. 
How about you, Mr. Wine? Oh, sorry. (laughs) All I was going to say is, um, absolutely, I'll I'll be sure to link something in the description. And actually, something I just thought about as as I've been sitting here is, lifetime lifetime appointments for judges actually makes them more invulnerable. So maybe maybe that would perhaps put less pressure on their judgments, that they can feel Mm -hmm. more free to judge how they genuinely feel, maybe. They can judge according to the um, according to the makeup of the nation and yeah. what is needed for the nation. Yeah. So that's why, as what people are worried about with Trump is that previous presidents, at the very least, if they were willing, if they were electing judges recommended by their own party, recommended at the very least intelligent judges. You know, they didn't just elect; they elected. They might have hoped for the idea of a yes man, but they did elect intelligent men and women. Yes, absolutely. The issue with Trump is that his administration is simply if. Is simply the opposite of this. At the very, even as a Trump supporter, one has to admit that a lot of things of the government that have been that can be run more efficiently haven't been by his appointees. So the so the idea that a lot of people are getting worried about, especially with a Republican Senate and the audaciousness of what of these past four years, is that he may just put a a complete idiot yes man in charge. And that is incredibly worrying. The idea of just putting a, a fool in charge of the, uh, uh, sorry, in the position of such high esteem and such high prestige and such high power is terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that that, that is also an argument against lifetime appointments. You know, it, it's a very yeah. nuanced debate because you, um, my issue actually with the system is you rely too much on the mm-hmm. goodwill of the president. Yep. to nominate someone and and obviously the goodwill of the house to they're not for example if 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 the president is looking is looking to have a majority you're you're then mm-hmm. you're then you're you're then you know basically at the mercy of their goodwill to make sure that, that they don't elect an idiot yeah you so, are very much at the mercy of the president which does sum up all the powers that have been given yeah, to it yeah and that in my mind actually is actually probably my main issue with the way judges mm-hmm. in America that the Supreme Court justice, you know, one of the third pillars of, you know, checks and balances mm-hmm. can basically be filled full of stooges and there's mm-hmm. not a lot that anyone can really do about it. The it, hope is is that they wouldn't all die simultaneously barring I mean, assassination yeah. or terrorist attacks. But then actually, isn't that, mm-hmm. one could actually make the argument that that would be even worse with lifetime appointments because then, you know, in their 70s and 80s, they are more likely to you know, die. True, but but funny enough, the beauty of idiots is is that if you're relying on the stupidity of a stooge to constantly say yes, they'll sometimes say yes to the wrong things if you're not in constant contact with them. This is true. That is, the sort of idi- that is sort of the issue of having an idiot second in command is, yeah, they'll follow everything they you, you ask them to do, but if they misinterpret something or come across something new that you didn't specifically tell them to do – they may end up doing something stupid that may end up ruining your chance. That is actually, yeah. That, so if he does do it, argument. if he does do it, he could end up in a situation where putting an intelligent, a more intelligent conservative judge would have been smarter because mm. he could end up with an idiot yes man that once he's gone just agrees with the Democrats all the time. Yeah. Which would <laughs> lead to the opposite problem, That'd which would the, lead to a, a bigger issue for, from their perspective. That'd be the ultimate um, uh-oh, Uno reverse card moment. <laughs> it very much would. It very much would. <laughs> See, for me, I think one of my favourite justices would be Antonin Scalia. Oh! I mean, I don't... 
I, I know, a very, a very controversial choice. I didn't always agree with uh, what he mm-hmm. stood for, but I think the case that really stood out for me was uh, the infamous 1989 uh, Texas versus Johnson. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, in his, um, at the end of the case, he said, if it were up to me, I'd put in jail every sandal-wearing, scruffy-bearded weirdo who burns the American flag, but I am not king. <laughs> and I think this really perfectly sums up what a judge should be in quite a comical form. Mm. He, um, he, for me, he epitomizes what a judge should be. It's He didn't agree with it personally, but in the eyes of the law, this is what had to be done. In the eyes of the Constitution, what the, had the founders in te- in, intended, I do agree, I do agree. Funny that you mentioned him, considering that he was a graduate of my high school, Xavier High oh, School. Oh, really? Which, shout out, yeah, oh, so shout out to Xavier <laughs> High School, because we've also had, um, I believe he is one of four chief, uh, four justices oh, that have been geez. on the Supreme Court from my high school. <laughs> my high school has, has fingers in many pies, as, as, as some people we know say. Fingers in many That's pies. That's very impressive. I'm I'm guessing you're a New Yorker. Yeah, I'm a New Yorker. So as you can imagine, from a lot of um, Democrats in my school, there are sort of mixed feelings, because he was simultaneously... He was a son of Xavier at the end of the day. He was a brother. But he was also he, he was also very much very conservative from their perspective. He was. I mean, his father was uh, Sicilian, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. And kind of uh, what I thought would nicely wrap into, um, of course, what kind of inspired this episode was the death of Ruth uh, Bader Ginsburg. Because mm. there was a Washington Post article out, I don't know if you saw mm. it, where it claimed that actually Ginsburg and um, Scalia were quite close friends in the end, even though they, they're obviously their opinions mm. differed on so many important things. And I just think that was quite a... It was quite a... They both had similar... Not being white... Um, American, like through and through, mm. they both had quite similar for the obviously for the bench. That's quite a diverse for what's um, especially when they were elected mm. in. I believe it was eighty five. I think it is about eighty five. I think you are because uh, it was in the middle of um, Clinton's impeachment. Are we talking about? Was, um, um, are we talking about uh, RBG's? Ginsburg. Or, oh, Ginsburg. Ginsburg. Yeah, I I believe yes, so. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. And. I think it's a. Um, I just thought it was quite a nice segue from Scalia to Ginsburg, if I'm honest. But um, no, I think it was a. Yeah. Oh no, I definitely, I definitely agree with the. I think it, that is one of the wonderful things about the Supreme Court is that when one delves into the culture of the Supreme Court, you do find that all the judges are very friendly to each other. They're very much friends with each other. They not only are they're not only friends with each other. But they also debate topics with each other. They don't just debate the cases, but they also debate different issues of of uh, of America as well, which I think lends itself to as intelligent people, as intelligent men and women, it lends itself to a more moderation of certain of certain viewpoints, or or even or even a more a solidifying viewpoints for others. But it allows that sort of marketplace of ideals to not only be amongst the people as they speak to each other. And amongst their elected officials, but also amongst those who are appointed for life as well. Marketplace of ideas reaches reaches far and wide, far and wide, and it always should. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point. You know, with a life of appointment, if you're working with someone, you know, for decades, you are more likely to ever mm. so slowly, even incrementally, perhaps moderate your, yourself almost. So you know that 
maybe lifetime appointments also um, is a bulwark against um, crazy, you know, cr- crazy views either way. Actually, extremism either way. Actually, I do believe I do believe they they are at the end of the day, because I think the beauty of lifetime appointments are as are just as you mentioned, if they, a bulwark against extremism. And through that decades-long process of speaking with your colleagues, you can you can eventually arrive at an understanding with them. Like, for example, a judge, let's say, who has an 80-year term from 1920 to 1980, mm. can if he disagrees with another judge saying, "Oh, if you because you sided with the others and passed this um, and allowed this bill to pass or allowed this case to be legalized or illegalized back in like 1950." You know, it's going to lead to massive issues down the line because you're a lifetime appointment. You can see these issues play out, and you can see the benefits yeah. as well. So you can you can you end up with a moderation of viewpoints because as time goes on from that initial case, as the decades start piling on, you can get a more nuanced idea of okay, you know, maybe some of the bad things I did believe materialized, but there were certainly some unexpected benefits that I was not willing to open myself up to. And maybe I've come to realize that this particular th- passing of it, it was overall beneficial. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. And also, lifetime appointments means that you couldn't have some hotshot who comes in for a few years and just goes a bit wacky. Because 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 then also, lifetime appointments means that they then have to ride out the consequences of their decision. They have to think how how yep. you know in 30, 40 years time will this make me look like an awful person? Almost, you know. Certainly, it it very much it very much does. It especially forces the judges to live with the consequences of yeah, their actions absolutely. because if what they vote in directly leads to a worsening of America, as judges on the judicial system, they will be the first to feel those shocks. They will be the first to feel those acts of tyranny if they allow it to continue. And in a sort of very morbid sense, if they allow such acts of tyranny to continue, when it comes to dictatorships or when it comes to grabs for power. They're usually the first on the wall. Yeah, I mean, uh, Henry the Sixth. He goes, "Let's kill all the lawyers." Ah. The first thing we shall do is kill all the lawyers. After obviously, Senator is overthrown. Yeah. Which is very, which is very important to consider when, when it comes for them to consider when it comes down to the decisions that they hand down. Mm. Because now they can't, they can't just trade in short-term gains for long-term um, detriments. They have to think long-term as well. They have to think about the benefits to the American people. Themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So I do have to ask my opinion on what what is your opinion when it comes to a judicial system in our in our country? Because I know the judicial system that you guys have is a recent, more or less a recent invention because the EU requires you to have one. So it seems that it's mostly been understandably all with parliament and i do have to admit i do have a being going to the uk for a university has given me a very very interested and a very romantic ideal of the hundreds of years that your parliament has been around yeah no i mean obviously the uk parliament is the mother of all parliaments oh easily yeah Mm. but yeah it is quite interesting actually that obviously the, the supreme court in the uk was only founded in 2009 and before then, obviously, the House of Lords was the yeah, yeah was the highest was the highest you know court in all the land. What I think is quite interesting as well with the Supreme Court now that you can retain your title as Lords um, ex 
but you you uh, lose your seat effectively until you um, until you. Know, as yeah, that's, the that's true. Actually, what they tend to, what they tend to do now is rather than picking from the House of Lords, they pick from leading barristers and scholars and raise them to lords. See, I'm a I'm very much a traditionalist. I was not a fan of Tony Blair removing the hereditary peers. I quite liked the hereditary peers. It was a throwback. I think the lords have very little power, especially. I think they have a respectable amount of power and the correct mm. amount of power for an unelected body. But I, I've always been very traditional in that sense. I quite liked the law lords. I don't think this, the construct of the UK judicial system and political system requires a Supreme Court as uh, the American system does for the separation of powers. Because our, let's be honest, our powers are not separated. You have the leader of the exec, you have the executive sitting in the legislature. Like there is no, but, it's true. But they're yeah. close to the people, but they are very close to the people of the United Kingdom mm. at the end of the day. Like a, a prime minister, let's say, I'll throw out like as as uh, Winston Churchill feels the shocks of the each bill that he passes through in comparison to the U.S. Because you you as a smaller country, you're able to keep in touch with each other far faster and far easier. Mm. You're able to see the effects on your neighbors' faces. You're able to see the effects when you go up to York. You're able to see the effects when you go down the Wales. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, actually, the um, mm. the creation of the Supreme Court, I, I am actually, I, I was actually in favour. Well, I, obviously, I wasn't, I was eight then, but obviously now, I, I'm in, fa- I'm in favour of it because as an astute eight-year-old, <laughs> you know, very well spoken. Yeah, no, but um, obviously, I am actually quite in favour of it because it, it, to an extent, creates a greater separation of power because. Obviously, having the House of Lords also be the final court, you know, the House of Lords, especially being hereditary peers, that in my mind is even worse of a system because not only are they unelected, they also then proliferate, you know, obviously they, you know, in in matters of constitutional, you know, business law, for example, or laws that could affect them, they, they, they they may act in their own interest, whereas now... The court, the Supreme Court, has to has to have a degree of separation almost, or it has to give the appearance. And by giving the appearance, it, it has to be almost impartial, a, a lot more impartial than it would used to be. That's very true. But being part of the legislative process, they also know how the law was intended to be used. Because I, I mean, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. Because I mean, we do do some prep for this, and we have like a few points that we think might come up. Um, and I'll be honest, I never imagined that it would come to uh, this. But we, um, but that's not a bad thing, by the way. Sorry, that sounded really, rather critical. I, I mean, it's, it's. I love um, the musing series because we do go on tangents and it's great. But I don't have any examples to hand. But I can imagine that there are have been some laws that have been used in a way that they weren't intended to be used, and sometimes with detrimental effects. Whereas if you have a, um, a Supreme Court that is not actively because, as I've said, the law, uh, the House of Laws' powers are drastically reduced. They can basically only um, slow down a piece of legislation for six months. So I feel like having their input in the judicial system, because don't forget, it not many cases go to the Supreme Court, and once they have, there has been a lot of work to get them. To this that is state. true. I mean, I think but... I can't remember how many they have. Some like five hundred applications but, yeah. a year. 
and there's only a handful that are actually yeah. uh, picked to go to the Supreme Court. So it's a similar system to how, to how the Supreme Court judges things in the state. Yes. Because there's some cases at the moment that they that they all agree they, they simply will not hear. Like a, a gun control apparently is one of them, where they just simply won't rule on anything else. They'll just simply allow the states and federal government to decide amongst themselves. Though I do have to, I do, I do have to ask from your from your perspective, Jack, at the very least, you can you can at the very least make the argument for say people like Isaac Newton, for example, being made barristers and then being made lords, like such intelligent people. At the very least, they seem like they would be very useful to the UK government in in that capacity. Absolutely, as I said, I while I was um, while I like while I liked Threadtree Lords. I equally think that the House of Lords should be made up of people that have uh, achieved a rete, if you will. Mm-hmm. If they have achieved, achieved a, a state of excellence that, that has been rewarded by, you know, helping to construct and uh, meander mm-hmm. laws into not a perfect form, because as we've seen, very few laws are perfect, but into a form which is the most beneficial, perhaps. Mm. Yeah. That is quite an interesting point, but in my mind still, I think it is important for there to be a third check because whilst whilst it's nice whilst to get your point about expedience with the house of lords then also having then also knowing the impact that the laws would have on um on on, on actual government function and, and and other such matters and stuff i think it's important for there to be an almost idealized pure version of law where it's where it, where it's solely legal and to then have that, and then for that then to be interpreted, for that then to be interpreted by lower courts, and even the House of Lords and and the House of Parliament, that in my mind I think is a better system because it's you know it's then it forces consensus almost because the, the Supreme Court in my mind is meant to be the idealised purest form form of law that can be that you know ov- obviously they discuss other things but its main function is is just law, and that in my mind could help could perhaps proliferate a state where 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 law is whilst obviously still respecting government and other things it's it keeps it pure it, it doesn't dirty itself with politics yeah. i can that's a really good point i mean alex alex c um mm-hmm. i i would say being an outsider but obviously you've studied politics yeah. you're incredibly this you know this hour has shown that you are incredibly astute when it comes Thank to politics. You. What's you. your take on the British system? I would say my take on the British system is that your judiciary system at the end of the day isn't independent because Parliament at the end of the day is sovereign. All power is manifested from Parliament understandably. So you end up in a situation... Brexit does mean Brexit. Yeah, Brexit means Brexit in a sense. So you do end up in a <laughs> you do end up in a issue where if the judiciary simply... If the judiciary rules on something, Parliament could in theory or it's not just in theory but in practice simply just outlaw the judiciary and simply close it down because the judiciary doesn't have unlike the american system where there the supreme court has power in of itself and any attempt by the other branches to outlaw it would be considered groundworthy for open rebellion it's not the same thing in the in the british system and i think your parliament at the very least over the hundreds of years you've had it has served you well enough that you don't you i don't think you necessarily need a supreme court i think your courts have been functioning well enough mm. but it's interesting to add a supreme court because it does it does feel like there's an there's an extra element of the 
American philosophies are the sorry the European philosophies we Americans took from that you're sort of starting to apply to yourself for the sense. Yeah, that's a very good point. Actually, there's a case actually about mm-hmm. a, about the um, UK courts not being obviously Parliament Parliament being sovereign in the in the UK mm-hmm. Supreme Court can't overrule Parliament. I think it was Her Majesty's Treasury and Ahmed. I, I think. Well, not surprised if it's already been if it's already yeah. been ruled. Well, 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 it was fairly recent actually. It was, well, I say fairly recent. It was 2010 after mm-hmm. so one year after the Supreme Court was founded. But I think that did reinforce the judgment that that, that Parliament can over uh, basically the, the the Supreme Court can't mm-hmm. overrule any primary legislation made by Parliament. Hmm. I think it also prevents an uh, presents an issue with the capacity of the Queen. Because at the very least in the past, as far as far as I can as far as I can remember from from learning about British history, it seems that the person in charge of the interpretation of the laws, once Parliament actually starts having enough power to challenge the mm. king, it usually is the monarch that simply says, "This is how the law I believe should be interpreted," and unless Parliament specifically rules that it shouldn't be interpreted that way, you know, you lower courts do your thing. The voice of the king commands you to do so. Mm. Which you've had generally reasonable monarchs, so you haven't you haven't had the the rush of bad monarchs as Austria or the French have had, or the uh, Holy Roman Empire, <laughs> or the Holy Roman Empire, where it's basically just like you didn't have a king where all of Christendom was was baffled at how they kept living yeah. with um with Charles. Yeah, I mean to be fair, we have had our zany, um, especially when it was the Catholic Protestant, Catholic Protestant. Um, almost extermination mm. that was um, a, van- a vendetta against the opposite um, faith. But I think you're right. I think we've had a, a fairly a mild set of monarchs, yep. which has definitely aided in, which is probably one of the reasons that we still have a, an active monarch. Well, I say active, but uh, a consistent monarch. Yeah. At the very least. No, I think I think it is one of the, it is very much part of that because I can't think of any monarch off the top of my head. That was – I guess the only market I can think of that nearly bankrupted the UK was the one that invested in the South Sea Company. But I yeah, guess or, um, the top of my head. or King John, actually. King, King, yeah, King, yeah, King, King John, John was not particularly very good, and he did exterminate a lot of Jews. Which, but, but monarchs are just I mean, Queen Victoria, for example. Yeah, solid. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Very solid. There's, I, I think you're right. There's – I mean, I think every, especially with the recent decline in influence, I want mm-hmm. I want to say because their powers, their powers have been unchallenged. It's just the ways in which they've executed those powers. In I my mean, mind, yeah. I mean, declined. technically, if you look at it, the queen, the, the monarchs has a lot of power, but whether or not they'd actually exercise that power is a different question. Like, for example, yeah. they can still dissolve parliament at will, and they can also still declare war at will, but I can't see that ever happening. <laughs> And yeah, and, and also and also they can block laws. Although maybe Charles III might. Yeah, go a bit I can only ever see a monarch doing that if a law that was initially popular becomes incredibly unpopular, and so a monarch sees can sort of use this as a way to gather support from the uh, from the common people in a sense. Yeah, actually, that was the plot of a um, House of Cards UK edition episode. Oh, really? Yeah, the. Um, um, the king tries to like tries to challenge the prime minister, and the prime minister just makes him forces him to abdicate. 
Oh wow! So uh, <laughs> that's a hell of an episode then. I'll link that. I'll link the episode title in the description because it's actually quite interesting. Though I feel like in real life it would end with the prime minister stepping down. Probably. Because I think you yeah. all have a very romantic idea we do. of the absolutely of, of if Boris ever messes up. Of the queen herself coming down with like a pistol at her side, you know, <laughs> about to put him out the pasture. <laughs> there is, there is. I mean, there's even theories that Queen Elizabeth II is. Um, yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm pretty sure if she wanted the queen could whip him with support to actually depose the prime minister. I mean, maybe she's the god empress of the earth. You know, <laughs> <laughs> she's the one we've all been waiting for. Guy. I would not be surprised. <laughs> But, um... No, it's... Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah, definitely... Definitely God bless the Queen, and the... I would I would definitely say that with the popularity of the monarchy definitely has to do with that, and I think the judiciary system in the UK was tied up with the monarchy. Mm. And that's the difficulty in trying to separate it, is that if the interpreter of the law, at the very least on paper, and in practice previously, was the monarch, how do you separate that without accidentally mm. leaving the room open to challenge the monarchy itself and yeah. dissolve it? Because I, I see no reason to dissolve it. I think it represents a very good sort of rallying point for for your people. I mean, hell, it represents a good rallying point for the rest of the Commonwealth. Yeah, I mean... I can't tell you how many Nigerians <laughs> who don't even live in this country very much like your queen. Mm. I mean, if, you ever, if you're ever in trouble, you definitely have a quite a few... The citizens of quite a few former colonies would definitely... Head off to join the British Army if you if you opened up like a a foreign service unit mm. like the French do. Too bad. Some... It's a fantastic point that you made about the um, about the Queen being like heavily involved in the judiciary because the Queen still does retain the power to um, grant pardons. For yeah, any this is true. I did not realize that. I did not Sorry. realize yeah. that. And so does the. Um, Prime Minister is part of his prerogative powers. Yeah, um, it's the, called the uh, it's called the Royal Prerogative of Mercy. Yeah. But then also, actually, on the flip side, there's also a prison sentence called "At Her Majesty's Pleasure," which is basically until you die. <laughs> so, oh, um, yeah, imagine hearing that sentence being handed off. down to you as like a terrorist at Her Majesty's pleasure. <laughs> you think you're on a? You just get to watch James yeah. Bond for a bit. Yeah. So. Yes, yeah, so... I mean, that's... Mm. There's not many people on that, is there? I think, in fact, I think two of them just yeah. recently uh, died, yeah. didn't they? Because it was the yeah. Moore's murderers, it, weren't they on yes. uh, life? Yeah, because... Uh, like a, a, yeah, life, a proper In the UK, sentence. it's 25 years for a life sentence, but they can detain you at Her Majesty's Pleasure, which is basically an indefinite period of time. I mean, I can imagine there are probably a lot of UK citizens that would have liked any sort of terrorist attack mm. in the country to be met by that sentence. Yes. <laughs> it would very yeah. be very delicious for a lot of people. Yeah. Something actually really interesting as well is that actually may be quite interesting to discuss actually is the, is the fact that the UK doesn't actually have a constitution. Oh yeah, it's just a system. Yeah. It's a, I yeah. love yeah. this. Yeah, so, um, it's a system mm, of thousands of a thousand yeah. year president. It's a patchwork. It's a patchwork. So we we have an uncodified constitution. So actually, our courts are actually more important because our courts create the patchwork of laws. Uh, you know, we are basically held up by a system of common law. <laughs> and definitely leads to a lot of interesting leftover laws. Like you it should does, not ride a horse around does, York at yeah. midnight on Sunday. Yeah. And uh, you can be arrested in London, I think, for doing st- suspicious stuff with fish. 
<laughs> just suspicious yeah, yeah, suspicious handling of fish, yeah. Oh, God. Suspicious handling of fish. Actually, I wonder actually, who I wonder actually, who necessitated that sort of law to come out. Actually, no, but you know, it's, a really, it, it's actually a really recent law. 1986. Wait, it's, it, it was, 1986? Yep, oh, yep, God. Yeah, go, go, yeah, Google it. It's called the Salmon Act of 1986. It is, um... You can be you can be detained for hang, handing handling salmon in suspicious circumstances. <sighs> Furries. <laughs> he really, he really, he really got to regulate them sometimes. Yeah, although <laughs> al- although actually it's actually it's actually aimed at black market fish dealing. So. Hmm. Yeah, because I mean, um, I guess the, I mean, the plus side is in the main streets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. because uh, apparently what was happening was um, people were stealing like salmon. And illegally selling them on the black market, so they created a law that um, that obviously had handling salmon in suspicious circumstances. Ooh. I can understand that. Actionary laws are brilliant, but I would not be interested in trying to stop like some Jordy in Newcastle dropping himself into the river <laughs> yeah. and like coming out with a salmon in his mouth. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop that power <laughs> move. I'm just gonna be intimidated. <laughs> yeah, no. But, um, so yeah, th- that's actually really interesting. Actually, that I think our courts may have maybe an even greater duty because we don't have a, like, for example, in America, they, there's always a constitution they can look back at back at and think, oh, what would, what does this mean? Whereas in the UK, it is purely at the discretion of the courts. <laughs> yeah, what have they said over the last thousand years about this specific item? Yeah. I, personally, I'm not a massive fan of constitutions. I think for America, mm-hmm. especially when it was founded, it was required because you needed laws that could not be, you need a basic rights guaranteed that could not be easily changed but i think constitutions normally are the Civil result of, they're often rushed and yeah they're the result yeah, of uh, like um like mm, like most countries that have it, like for example england you know yes we had a civil war and yes we had the, the closest thing we have i'd say to a constitution would be the magna carta yeah i'd agree that's, yeah. that's sort of baseline in a sense mm, of like mm. this is the absolute basic protections that you have yeah yeah and considering yeah. it's sort of the 13th century it is incredibly basic yeah yeah you know for example no secret trials is one, is one of the things i remember yeah and, and obviously you've got the bill of rights in 1689 and the claim of right act in 1689 as well but yeah it's um in my mind constitutions often come about from rushed you know civil wars hmm. and 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 all country in my mind if a country's if, if a country's come naturally together they don't often have they don't often have constitutions where if they've had civil wars or revolutions they often have constitutions I find. Hmm. I would say, I would say yes when it's rushed, and I would say a good example of that of a constitution being rushed in a sense would be the Articles of Confederation, the first. Oh, absolutely. The, yeah. the first the first one that we had that made no bloody sense. Yeah, that doesn't. It was incredibly ineffective. Yeah. We it was a uh, yeah that was that was a hot mess of. States basically start doing whatever the hell they want because the federal government can't tell them to do anything. Yes. I would say the Constitution itself, though, I believe took nearly five to six years of just a constant constitutional convention of where you have the most intelligent people that are centered in this location. The founding fathers, lawyers, merchants, anybody, even the average, even the average citizen can at the very least suggest something. Yeah. If not, if not themselves, as I really suggest something to someone. Mm. It, I think there was easily around two to three thousand people at the constitutional convention over those years. Yeah. 
So they, they did take their time with the second one at the very mm. least. And I think that's what makes that's the American true. Constitution so sturdy. Yeah. Because I've I mean, heard the argument... Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I was, there's pros and cons to a Constitution. A Constitution gives you a, a stringent baseline that it, it, it basically lessens the power of the judiciary, I'd say, to an extent, because they can't come up with anything that, that, that's, for example, I would say, solely new, creative, and distinctive. Whereas in the UK, they can. Hmm. Because, yes... It, Oh, sorry. I, I, I was say yes sorry. in the UK that they're bound obviously by by common law, which is actually in my mind common law. I'd say w- w- would in effect almost be a constitution. It, it is kind of a constitution, I would say. Without sounding like a, a Brexit toasting Farage wants to be, I am massively in favour of um, Parliament being sovereign because I feel like it mean it means that the country can adapt to, to contemporary views. Like we saw this with the um, the ripping down of statues in the Black Lives Matter protests, that the contem- contemporary views change, and whether that uh, was it, Colston. Yeah, Colston, um, slave Col- trader, Colston, used the money yeah. to to um pay for a yes. school, I believe. Hmm. And quite a few actually. He was quite a, ph- hmm. a philanthropist, but he also made his money in yeah. ill got well, what would now be considered ill got games. So I think this perfectly demonstrates that. <clears throat> opinions change so much that in fact, to have any document written in a fixed moment in time, mm. for me, seems almost like a, a barbaric hallback mm. to what was then idealised, but what clearly changes in not a lot of years. Because look at gay rights, for mm-hmm. example. If you went back 50 years, you know, it was it was still criminal. It was only decriminalized in what the seventies, eighties. Yeah, it was decriminalized seventies, eighties. Only became fully legal in a sense in the nineties, and marriage itself and didn't. Still, yeah, it, decades later. Ex- and but if this had been entrenched, because I mean, if you went mm-hmm. back a hundred years, then these ideas would have been not even questioned. They were mm-hmm. very much setting stone. So uh, this this is my issue with entrenchment mm-hmm. with constitutions. They take an idealized form of the time, but they have no room for adaptation. Yeah, I mean, in, in my mind, the constitution should be treated of this is a snapshot of our founding fathers' ideals, and we should pay deference to that. But it shouldn't, it shouldn't act like a chain. Ooh, I find this an interesting topic because the counter argument I would give to this would be the first ten amendments mm. are usually considered fundamentally not not. Not rights in a government sense, but natural rights. Yeah. It isn't the government acknowledging them. It's simply stating these yeah. are the rights that all people should have. It's yeah. just an issue that some governments don't grant those rights. Yeah. And amendments aren't considered the government is recognizing this right. The go- it's, it's, it's strange. It's a very strange viewpoint. It isn't the government that's recognizing you have a right. It's the dis- government discovering another natural right that you have and that you should always have. Mm. Uh, the issue with some That's issue the with some amendments, yeah, it's like a new discovery. The issue is that some amendments did lead to the prohibition of alcohol, so you could argue <laughs> it right. led to the natural Absolutely. right of you not you being know, able America's to drink. Made many mistakes, yeah. but that is up there. I, I'm yeah. not going to say it's the biggest mistake because obviously they, there has been some um, quite heinous acts, as but, every country does. Yeah. But that is up there in the top. It very much is up there. It definitely much is not even top (laughs) ten, probably top five or top. I mean, um, you know, because they led to massive mafias that were still that still are dealing with the uh, remnants of today. Exactly, American prohibition did lead to organized crime, basically. 
And it formed the criminal basis for the drug war later on as well. Absolutely. I'm surprised America didn't call Prohibition War on Alcohol. I mean, they did at the time. If you look at, if you ever get the chance to look at 1920s or 1910 newspapers, they're very zany when they talk about alcohol. What is it with America? Until you realize that they are actually like mm. sending police officers to have shootouts with these guys. What is it just over yeah. alcohol? What is it with American declaring war on absolutely anything they can? It's because we're a very, we are quite literally the parts of the UK that were considered too conservative for even the Parliament and monarch that were basically set yeah. down, like the Puritans, the Quakers. And these people did form the basically very much did form the backbone mm. of our legal system. So you end up in a case where you basically have to to borrow a term in a sense or borrow a modern a, a modern uh, example. It it basically would be like if Iran was a democracy, but the backbone of its law and order was like sh- Sharia law. Uh, you kind of end up in a case of things. Things are get a little a little wacky when you when you when you base your legal system on large amounts of religious law because religious law is generally whether it's biblical or Quran is for a problem that was nearly a thousand years ago or even or a hundred years at best. Yeah, that's very true actually. And then one could equally make one could equally then make the argument that actually. It wouldn't make a difference whether or not there's a constitution because if the backbone of the legal system would be wacky zany people, then it would just be like the UK where we've established a patchwork of common law. Yeah, but but luckily when it comes to taking off amendments and adding them, it's an incredibly difficult process. It is, you need yeah. two thirds of all states, you need two thirds of the Senate. Um, it's it's so it's so long that I think the last amendment was passed in nineteen in the nineteen eighties, and nobody has ever tried to bring up another amendment because it's too damn difficult to add. Oh, and the fun imagine? of it, especially with the Thompson. Pardon? Sorry, I, I was just going to say, especially with the renewed partisanship. Oh yeah, I can't imagine any sort of amendments <laughs> being <laughs> being passed as of now because. There is way too much friction between the different parties and different groups in the USA, which is why Democrats and Republicans, instead of um, relying on the people, have started going more towards uh, hacking the judicial system, seeing how they can manipulate like the bureaucracy, the sort of um, workings of the government as well, the federal government and state governments. You end up in a system where people are trying to figure out ways to get around the the stop gaps put in place by not just the founding fathers, but all the previous politicians and judges just to ensure all this BS wouldn't happen where you have a large group of politicians simply declaring that I know best and you all need to follow me, you know, like a, like a father to his children when they should be treating each other like brothers and sisters. Yeah, absolutely. Constantly squabbling about who's charger is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that's why we have the, the natural liberty of self-defense, Second Amendment, as a, or as John Locke would say, the right to rebellion and revolution. Indeed, very well said. See, it's it's that's such a funny mm-hmm. thing because I, from what you said, I'm guessing you're quite. You, I mean, I believe at one point in the um, in this episode, you said that you feel like some restrictions are too harsh on the Second oh, Amendment. Oh, certainly, I feel like some restrictions are too harsh on the Second Amendment. So I'm part of a. I would say I'm. I would say. I would tilt more towards the more liberal Republican side when it comes to gun laws. I wouldn't say conservative, 
because in my experience, when you talk to conservative yeah. Republicans and mention, "Hey, we should unban assault rifles," they get a little bit they get a little bit antsy at that, and and at the idea of anybody besides themselves being armed, which is an issue. All Americans, at the end, they should be armed. Yeah. At the very least, I can understand background checks, and um, for example, just to make sure you're of sound mind and not a criminal. And I can also understand. Um, at the very least, the recommendation of you need to have some training. You need to understand how this gun works. You know, it is a tool, but it is a tool that can kill. Yeah, absolutely. 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 So in that respect, mm-hmm. do you – because in the UK, it's such a – I'd say there's a consensus. Would you agree, Alex? Mm-hmm. It's – there's too much uh, – we, we've been like, you know, uh, for example, it's illegal to carry a, a knife that's over yeah. three and a half inches long. And even then, you have to have reasons. Yeah, to have I had to provide my ID just to buy a knife at Fenwick. At Fenwick. Exactly. Oh, at Fenwick, Mister Oh, I thought Fenwick was your equivalent of Walmart. So when I came <laughs> back to my flat with one hundred and like sixty dollars worth of like plates and everything like that, <laughs> I just thought yeah, I just thought because I always heard that the UK had a high living uh, uh, cost of living. Apparently, that's only in London. Yeah, the so UK when I does got not. That have bill, it, it, I mean, it does. But... Yeah. It, it helps when you yeah. shop at Fenwick. Yeah, so I thought I was very – I was so when I showed showed Stephen and Doey and them, they just kind of looked at me like, why did you why did you shop at Fenwick? Like, like, why would you do that? I can imagine Stephen just whipping out a one-pound, like, which um, – Literally. He plate. just took out, like, his one-pound plate and showed me the receipt of it, and I was like, fuck. I basically had to return all – I returned all of it and went uh, immediately – like a uh, like a um, good expat to over to Morrison's <laughs> to buy to buy proper one dollar one one pound cutlery and one pound plates. Yes, I mean Fenwick. Don't get me wrong; it's the food is lovely. Everything's really nice there, but it's not it's not a place for me. Can't you? Yeah, no. I, I'm just they didn't plates. You you were, you were paying like eight pound a plate. No, I was paying. I was paying easily fifteen to twenty pounds a plate because I just thought they were supposed to be that expensive. I mean, all... but once I started living there, I realized that things in Newcastle were even cheaper than living in in, um, in New York. Yeah, yeah, but... things are very cheap. Speaking of second, shall we just take a second to remember what did inspire this podcast, which was the tragic death of the much respected Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, I mean, she was very moderate. She was obviously a uh, democratic, uh, Democrat. I keep saying democratic. My apologies. She was obviously a Democrat candidate, but I think she was very well respected across the board. Alex, oh, absolutely. Agree? And I found it most distasteful that people are cheering that she's died, mm-hmm. irrespective of what you believe politically and irrespective of your views. It's still, in my opinion, sad that she's died, she, that she's passed away. You know, yes, her rulings were controversial. Yes, I don't agree with all of them, but still, you know, I, I, I'm a bit bit myth that she's uh, that she's passed away because she was a good counterbalance on on the Supreme Court. Absolutely. Um so that pretty much brings us to the end of the episode. It's gonna be a long one I feel. Um certainly longer than we initially intended. I'd just like to give a massive thank you to Alex Cantave who uh, kindly uh contributes to this podcast uh, with his beautiful vocal melody. Uh, thank you, thank you. It's very much, it's been very interesting debating all of this with you, especially the many um, facets and subtleties of this of these arguments. Uh, absolutely. I hope you bring me on if you ever start talking about the Second Amendment. I mean, to be fair, we, we do also have an American 
like uh, election podcast scheduled, so perhaps you could get you in for that as well. Be interesting. Uh, I'd be very interested, especially on election night, because Ooh. I do believe this will, depending on who wins, uh, history will be changed somewhat. This is true. History will be changed. Well, with that, um, we'd just like to thank you, and of course, rate this five stars, please, if you're on Apple Podcasts. Save the podcast if you're on Spotify. Um, like, tweets, just, you know, you can even be negative if you want. Well, preferably not with the ratings, but, you know, send us abuse, send us whatever. And some constructive uh, criticism. Thank you for listening to... <laughs> Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you for listening yeah. thank to you. Politics. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. God bless.